0: when the harvest comes heal the sick and then tell them the kingdom of god has come near you luke 11:20 but if i drive out demons by the finger of god Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Matthew 6.10, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Romans 14.17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Matthew 4.17, From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. This kingdom of God. Is it mystical? Is it some far-off, distant place? Is it separated from us? By time or dimensions? Is it personal? Is it something I carry around inside me, telling me what to do or how to live? Maybe. But in this story and in the verses that I've quoted, it is also something else. It is incredibly powerful, it is embarrassingly public. And it doesn't hide, well, it doesn't hide anywhere. What does Jesus show us? First, there is the Word. First, there is the Word, this living Word in Jesus Christ. This Word of text that is then inspired by the Holy Spirit, it is the Word of God. Alive, living. And Jesus, on so many occasions, takes the scriptures and says, I read this in front of you and now the scriptures have been fulfilled. Jesus says, because I stand here reading it, fulfilling the very prophecy. And so there is the word And then there is the deed. And the word and the deed go hand in hand like a married couple profoundly in love. Word and deed that can't be separated. And Jesus shows people the kingdom. And what does it look like? Sometimes it is deeply uncomfortable and it looks like a God who is almighty and powerful whom we don't understand, whom we can't control. And we are surprised that he should have something to say to us in the deepest and most personal ways, and oftentimes to do that in public. This is the God who shocks who promises eternal life to those who are dead. This is the Christ who releases the power of the resurrection in the midst of those who are hemmed in on all sides by the corruption of the world. He calls sinners righteous. He announces that those who are plagued by endless suffering are blessed. He promises overflowing riches. To those who are dying from hunger and thirst. This is the word. This is the word, Jesus says, and this is the deed. You will know these things when the kingdom of heaven is near. You will know these things when the kingdom of God is near because I will be delivering people from possession. I will be healing people of their illness and suffering. And in those places you will see the kingdom because you will see the sign of hope and joy and righteousness of the Holy Spirit. I think in so many ways, Jesus is saying, Do you want to know where the kingdom of God is? Do you? Do you want to know? Maybe we do. Maybe secretly it scares us. Maybe we're worried, anxious about what that might say about us if it is indeed public yeah. that it might be shocking for us in our lives. Things that we thought always were true but maybe weren't. Maybe because they're not of Jesus. But profoundly and I want to emphasize this profoundly when Jesus demonstrates or talks about the kingdom of God, it is not about condemning people. It is not. It is about revealing and defining his act in a moment in time that reverses, that flips a person's circumstances Not just physically, but spiritually. And does it all in one fell swoop. There is a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation will leave you no room to be anybody else. Condemnation is an anchor that will take you to the bottom of the oceans, never to be redeemed stuck with a label or an accusation. No chance for parole. Conviction is like that crack in the doorway through which you see a bright light when you are in the darkness. It is actually an opportunity for hope knowing that the place in which you stand suddenly is no longer the place in which you desire to be. When you've had an epiphany, you've woken up, you've realized suddenly that your life is not as it should be and you need a way out, conviction is that way out. Jesus stands behind the conviction of that cracked door, inviting you to push on through. As individuals... As a church, both here and across the nation and across the world. There is a fundamental step to conviction that we got to talk about. It is the avenue onto which Jesus is moving you into the express lane of life. It's called repentance. It often sounds like such a heavy word, doesn't it? Because sometimes we can think of the repentance being preceded by condemnation. I am not worthy. Which dangerously can lead to, I will never be worthy. I am not worthy, said to Jesus Christ, gets turned on its head. To this, well, I will make you worthy. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you worthy. And in that conviction, you will be suddenly awakened to the error in life the error, the misdeeds, the things that we've done wrong. And they can be a multitude of things. And the Lord Jesus has no qualms about shining a light on those things in our lives. But make no mistake. His doing so is about letting the light in. The kingdom of God is built on repentance. Whenever healings happen, whenever deliverance happens, it is about repenting. You go through the baptism, the words of baptism. You look closely and what you'll see is that they're the words of deliverance, of exorcism. Every time we do a baptism, we are getting rid of the old, the evil, the sinful, the deathly. And we're saying sorry for that and we're inviting Jesus into that space. Every time you say the Lord's Prayer, you are practicing exorcism in your own life. Lord, deliver me, deliver us from evil. Did you notice the forgiveness bit happens before that in the prayer? Jesus comes on the scene. Who precedes him? John the Baptist, preparing the way, how does he do that? Preaches a baptism of repentance. Now, I don't say this lightly. I don't point these things out lightly. In my life, repentance has come with tears, with great anguish. with a sense of failure. And I can tell you that Jesus has been there in those moments to quickly take that feeling and to say, by acknowledging it, by speaking over it, you refuse to let it have power in your life. Be gone, failure. Be gone, sin. You have no power here. That when you repent in the most private of moments or in public, Jesus is there with you, helping you with the words. Did you know that? Helping you say those words I am sorry. And there is the kingdom of God. As powerful as you've ever seen. It's there for us in our personal lives. It's there for us in the life of this church. You know, one of the things that this church put on paper as a goal it wanted to have in five years' time, this was before I came in the benefits Profile, and said in five years, this was before, I had never read this until yesterday, in five years, do you know what we want? Does anybody know? <laughs> it's the test. Does anybody know what you wanted? What was at the top of the list? It was one of them, that was Number three. Revival. Revival was at the top of your list. Jesus, Holy Spirit, discipleship. Those are your top four with revival at the start. Now I think that God has placed something on your heart. Before I came, before I even knew about this church, revival in the Holy Spirit. Where does it start? Here. How's it start? Repentance. We gotta do it as a church. It's gotta be Holy Spirit led. This is the way of stepping into our calling. Now I don't know. I don't know. What needs to be repented? It's not for me to know. I just know it has to happen. It's the process. It's the doorway we need to push open. The door we need to push through to get into the other side where the light of Jesus Christ is. That invitation is beckoning to us. And when that comes, then there is the harvest. And there is the harvest.